Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. So these next few weeks, we're going to engage in a a mini-series that's called This Is Us. Now, some of you will know straight away from that title, This Is Us. That is actually the title of a series on Amazon Prime. During lockdown, um, my wife and I got into this series. We heard our fellow housemates giggling, crying, all kinds when they were watching it in another room. And we thought, we've got to watch this. And we were immediately hooked. And so our daily routine all the way through lockdown has been... Around about 9, 9.30, television goes on. We watch at least one or maybe two of the series. We've now finished it all. We're waiting for season five uh, to, to come back. But we watch one or two of the uh, programs each night about This Is Us. And I'm going to take an unusual step today. I don't think I've ever done this publicly before. I'm going to recommend that program to you. In fact, it's probably good to get Amazon Prime just for that TV program. It's well worth it. We've really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it, not enjoyed it. Um, The series follows the lives and families of two parents and their three children. And it's in several different time frames. That's all I'm going to say without spoiling it for you. You will fall in love with mum and dad, Jack and Rebecca. They are absolutely brilliant parents. They're attentive, they're kind, they're thoughtful. But, and there is a big but, they are deeply flawed. And you'll see it. The kids, the three that it's particularly uh, around, and obviously they grow up, they are wonderful human beings. You'll fall in love with them too. You really will. They are great human beings. They're intelligent, they're bright, they're articulate, and they're unique in, in the way they express themselves. But they are totally screwed up. Now, I can't say any more because I'll reveal too much to you, but these are some of the subject matters that are dealt with in This Is Us. Listen to this. These are the ones I've noticed anyway. Abandonment, death, grief, sexuality, racism, mental health, infertility, depression, alcoholism, PTSD. Now, just in case you're thinking this sounds a little bit downbeat, I'm not sure I want to watch it. Let me assure you, there is lots in it about love and marriage and friendship and gaining and uh, about freedom. There's, There's so much good stuff. Brotherly and sisterly love, adoption, recovery. It's full of hope. So all those things that I mentioned, don't see that as a negative. There's hope there and then. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking as I'm watching it, Apart from it being a great therapy for me every single day, I laughed and I cried a lot. I'm watching it, and this is the thought that came to me. This is why I've entitled this series, This Is Us. I thought, this is just like the church. This is just like, this, this is the kind of stuff, and trust me, during lockdown, maybe more so, this is the kind of stuff we are encountering all of the time in and through the church, all of the time. You know, over the years, because I've been pastor a long time, people have said this to me, oh, it must be so nice working for the church rather than in the real world. And I, I usually smile, uh, but I hate to disappoint you. Well, no, I'm pleased to disappoint you, and I'm going to disappoint you, and I probably need to disappoint you as quickly as possible. This stuff happens 
in the church. The church is the real world. We face stuff all the time. We lose and we grieve. We love and we win. We struggle with mental health and we overcome it. Or we don't. We struggle with relationships. We agree and we disagree. We celebrate and we fall out. We love and we laugh. We have issues with infertility and people have children. There is divorce and it's painful. We have marriages. We lose and we gain. And we lose and we gain again. This is church. Trust me. Wherever you're watching, church is the real world. The church is not made up of perfect people that float through life in some way and overcome everything with ease, bounding like some kind of Baywatch advert where it's in slow motion and we're all perfect human beings. No, no, no. We are, in fact, don't tell anybody else, but I'll tell you this about C3. We are a dysfunctional family. Uh-oh. We are. No, I'm not worried by that because actually when I use, read my New Testament, there are lots of local churches which are dysfunctional. In fact, a lot of the New Testament is addressing some dysfunctionality that goes on. I could choose lots of different books for you, but I could, I'm just going to choose one. I'm just going to read one verse to you. This is, a, this is the book of Corinthians. This is the church, but look how dysfunctional they were. This is 1 Corinthians 6 verse 1. It is actually reported, the Apostle Paul says, that there is sexual immorality among you and, of, and it is of a kind not even tolerated among pagans. Then he tells us what it is. For a man has his father's wife. This is weird. This is dysfunctional. But I want to remind you this, and this is the re that's the worst verse, I think, in there. There was a lot of bad verses uh, about what was going on. But at the beginning of the book of Corinthians, this is what he writes to them. He knows what's coming up. He's writing the letter, but he says this to them. Verse 2, chapter 1. You, to you, the church of God in Corinth. This is how he describes them. To those sanctified in Christ and in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Verse 4, he says to this, I always thank God, my God, for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows all the dysfunctionality that's going on, but he's still full of hope of what is going on in them because of the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the promise that's sealed in them. He's full of hope. They will be perfect. They will be presented glorious one day to the bridegroom. Jesus also addresses some churches in Asia in the book of Revelation. Same pattern. There's some great stuff that's going on. You read it, Revelation chapter 2. But there's some stuff as well that is awful, that needs to be addressed. This is the mixture that's there. And I just want to remind us today, with all our methods of communication changing and with all the way we do church may be different in this day and age, I want to remind you of what doesn't change in regard and in relation to the purpose of God for his church. Because through all the change that's going on, can I just announce this to you? Our God 
doesn't change because he doesn't have to. And his plan and his purpose for the church isn't going to change. And because the church is in the real world, it is, and because it is reality and we face loads of stuff, we can sometimes get a little cynical about the church. Can I encourage you? Run from cynicism like it's a plague. It will destroy your faith. And you can get so cynical about the church so that when we define it, we can be less than endearing towards it. But I want to talk today. If someone was come to, come to you and said, what is the church? Do you have an answer for them? I was in a conversation recently where I heard someone say about the church, oh, it's just made up of a bunch of hypocrites. Do you know what I wanted to do? My immediate response was, I'm going to defend the church. And I thought, well, even if it is, Jesus knows, and Jesus doesn't call it a bunch of hypocrites. He calls it something else, and he's got hope invested in the local church to be the hope of the world, to bring change in our world. He died for the church. That's what the scriptures tell us. So he doesn't define us by our hypocrisy, even if he knows about it. He defines us in a totally different way. And so don't get too worried. Just know that Jesus will present. There's a phrase in Ephesians 5.27 where he says this, or Paul says this, that he, speaking of Jesus, might present it to himself as a glorious church. God has a plan for a glorious church. And I wanted to warn us, let's be careful. Let's not define the church by her worst moments. And there are some. But let's define the church as God defines her. So two things I want to say, and I've got to go quick. Number one, this is how God describes his church. And this is my favorite description. I I fell in love with this description many years ago. The church is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Listen to this, Revelation 19. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. There'll be a lot more than 30 there, by the way. And he added, these are the true words of God. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. What a lovely description. Collectively together, we are his bride. Jesus is our groom. And the groom has done the greatest thing he could possibly do to show he loved the church. He gave his life on the cross. What greater gift for the bride could the groom give but his very life? He loves us. And can I just say... It may be slightly weird for some of us to think, especially if you're a man, you think, oh, a bride? Yes, we are the bride. Not individually, but corporately together. We're the bride of Christ. When I got married 35 plus years ago, a guy uh, called Ian Russell, a pastor of a church in Leicester these days, I think he is. But just before I got married, he gave me some counsel. And he said this to me. He said, when you're in public ministry, you're up front a lot, he said, never speak negatively about your wife in public. Never. Now that's been easy for me, having a a perfect wife and nothing negative to say over the years, but say she had been not perfect. Why would I speak about it publicly? Why would I pull her down publicly? Why do we do that about the church? 
I think we can help the bride to make herself ready. I think there's a part that we have to play, and our words can play a part in that. And I'm going to introduce just a little clip here from J. John. Have a look at this, where he talks about the bride of Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of how we can beautify her, or rather we can pull her down with our words. But it really is a beautiful picture. Take a look at this, the bride of Christ. The special relationship Jesus has with his church is seen in the terminology the Bible uses to refer to the church. The church is called the bride of Christ and Christ is the bridegroom. We are the church. And one day the church will meet her groom, Jesus Christ, the bride. The bride. He is preparing the bride. He's preparing the church. Now, if he came today, if he came tomorrow, what would, what would she be like? What would the bride be like? What would she be like when we misrepresent her? We say bad things about her. We don't respect her. We don't love her. We don't care for her. We don't speak well of her. We're not proud of her. What would she be like? Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without spot. She will be holy without blemish. Are we cleaning her? Are we cleaning the church? Are we preparing the bride to meet the bridegroom? Are we loving her? Do we love the church? Augustine said you cannot, you cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother.
he's preparing the bride. What a beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. Let's wash her with our words. Let's keep her clean. Let's beautify her as the bride. And then just one more way the Bible describes the church. I could mention there are five main kind of metaphors in the Bible. But this one is that she is probably the most in the New Testament. And it's this. that The church is the family of God. That's the one that's used the most. Now, strictly speaking, can I just say this? It's not a metaphor. I said there are five main metaphors, which maybe we'll look at some other time. The, 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 the church being family is not actually a metaphor. It is literally. Now, I know the word literally can get overused these days. If you listen to people, they use it when it shouldn't be used. So I heard something recently by a football commentator, Jamie Redknapp, and he said, in his youth, Michael Owen was literally a greyhound. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Uh, uh, Leona Lewis on winning the X Factor said, I literally jumped out of my skin. I don't think she did. You hear people say, I literally was dying of laughter. Now that's a great way to go, but I don't think that happens very often. So we use it, but I want to use it very carefully now and say, guys, the church literally is the family of God. Father... That is the immortal, the invisible, the only wise God, the eternal, all-knowing one. He literally is my dad. And if he's my dad and he's your dad, then that means we're family. We are brothers and sisters. You are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are literally my brother and sister. Jesus literally is my older brother. He's my big brother. This is literal. Family is how the Bible describes the church. It's the primary way the New Testament identifies the family of God. What you see is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the language is one of disciples. But once it gets to Acts and the, the, the epistles, the language changes to family. Family dominates self-understanding of the early church. And in being adopted into God's family, we're joining in to what he was experiencing already family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you to see the church as the family? Some of you are connecting online and only online. That's okay. But see us as your family. I want to encourage you not to just consume content from all over the world, though it's important. I do that. I listen to Stephen Furtick and T.D. Jakes and Tim Keller, and my favorite is John Ortberg. I listen to them all. But I'm not part of their local church. See, the Bible describes the church in three different ways. Quick, a little bit of theology. It describes the local. It describes the universal. So that is the, church, the people of God all over the world at any given time. And then it describes the church, if we might call it eternal. That's the one, that, the church that will stand before God one day, before the throne of grace. The, the church from all ages, past, present, and future, that we are not in yet, but God is. If you can get your head around that. And that will all stand before him on the throne. But the dominant way the New Testament portrays the church, by way of understanding it, is local. Now online, we can still be local church. I'm not going to discourage if you if you only connect online. Still connect, but make, it, make C3 your church. 
See, we have three things, three core, three core values that we are centered around. Christ, cause, and community. We're going to speak about it over these next few weeks. This is us. Christ, cause, community. And we encourage you, remember whether bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. Warts and all. You can't choose me for your brother. I am your brother and sister. And there are those that are your sister. I am. You're my brothers and sisters. We live for a cause that's bigger. And every other cause, every other cause of justice comes under the big cause, the great big fat redemptive purpose of God, which is to make disciples of all nations. And we do it together. We need one another. I need you. You need me. We're in the same family. I think you're lovely. I think you're ace. That was a poem that my, we, wrote, we, we wrote. I won't read the rest of it. When my daughter was born. But we need one another. We need each other. Not just to consume, but to be part of a community focus. So I have three questions as I'm closing to ask you. Think about this. What are you doing to support your local church? And that might only be online or it might be in a physical location. If you join us from other churches, great, join us. But stay connected with your church. Give your money to that church. Give your time and volunteering. Or if not, come and join us. Don't play fast and loose between different places. Get accountable. I know that's not a word people like. Get rooted because when you're rooted, you're fruitful. Be part of a local expression like the New Testament explains. We talk too individualistically sometimes. The Bible talks about us. This is us. What are you doing to support your church family? What are you doing to serve your church family? Why not email us at hello at the c3.uk where you can say, I can serve in this way. It may be new and inventive ways. It may be making phone calls. It may be coming online as a host. It, it may be in any kind of way in our physical locations. What can you do? And what can you do finally to strengthen your local church? What can you do to serve, support, and strengthen? I end with this scripture. This is from Acts chapter 2 which paints a beautiful picture of the church that Jesus has not yet changed his plan and purpose for. It says this, They, they, us, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We must never let those things go. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May it be said, this is us. Maybe today is the day that you can be added to the number. Maybe it's today where you can give your life to Jesus Christ. That's how you become part of the family. But then you have to connect locally. There's no such thing as a disconnected Christian. You belong in a family called the church. So I'm just going to pray a prayer that you can use as a prayer of devotion before then, the worship team leaders in one last song of worship together. And if you've never, ever done this, you can pray this prayer now. Let us know. Email us. Put it in the links there on the comments on Facebook. Or make sure you subscribe to YouTube. 
be part, join, connect. Use this prayer to pray about your devotion to Jesus. Maybe the first time, maybe reconnecting it with him. Say this, Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you died for me. Forgive me for self-centered living. I choose you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord. Thank you. Now help me to run this race with others in family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do let us know and let's celebrate together that we are the family of God. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast we pray it's been a blessing to you why not share it with your friends and family through social media if you're not on the regular podcast list then why don't you subscribe thank you especially to those that give if you want to give to this ministry you can go to our website thec3.uk slash giving and get involved god bless you